Um, go ahead and grab your Bible if you have one. If you don't own one, there should be a blue and white copy around you under a seat, um, or you can obviously open one in your app um, if you have one. Uh, every week we gather, uh, and this time is kind of the historic pattern of the church has been to uh, open up God's Word and to sit under uh, His Word in, in a posture of surrender and listening, uh, understanding, which is kind of a reminder for us that we're not authority figures, although we like to think that we're in charge of our lives. It's a reminder that God has, God, we, we serve a God who speaks to us and, uh, and who has desires and longings for us, and, that, and He expresses those in the Scriptures. Uh, these Scriptures have uh, stood the, t- the test of time. They're ancient words to us that apply uh, to very modern things that we deal with, but they, they've been around for a long time, and so it's a, t- a chance for us to listen and, uh, and to kind of honor those who've come before us um, and to put our lives under what God says instead of standing over God's word and judgment. We sit under it and we listen and we receive from him, and then we, we, we seek to align our lives, to harmonize our lives with God's heart and his desires for us. And so normally one of our pastors will do that. Uh, again, if you're new to SOMA, um, it's part, one of the key uh, parts of my job description. Our job description as elders is to teach uh, the church, but it's not the exclusive domain of the church. We're commanded to teach one another, and it's a gift that's given to lots of different men and women in the church. And so we occasionally get to hear from uh, members of our church, and this morning we had the privilege of hearing from our deacons of family ministry, uh, Christian and Robin McKinnon. And so if you would welcome them as they come to teach us on friendship. Thanks, Brandon. Good morning. After um, Kat and Paul's baptism, which was beautiful, thank you, and that worship, I feel like we should just say the benediction and, and head home. It's been a beautiful, holy morning. As Brandon mentioned, my name is Robin. This is my husband, Christian, and we are super excited to have the opportunity to share with you about spiritual friendships, how you can nurture and invest in friendships that will draw you into the presence of God and make you more like him. The cornerstone, stone, the, excuse me, the cornerstone verse for all that we will talk about this morning is Proverbs 27, 17, which says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Christian will be teaching from Proverbs, and then I'll share with you what some of these spiritual friendships have looked like in our walk with the Lord. We had a dear friend pass us this book as Christian and I were preparing um, for this sermon. Um, It's a book called True Friendship by Vaughn Roberts, and the author talks about um, the book of Proverbs as it relates to informing our understanding of spiritual friendships. And so I just want to read a paragraph out of this book for you. So he writes, The book of Proverbs might almost be called a treaty on friendship. There's no book, even in classical literature, which so exalts the idea of friendship and is so anxious to have it truly valued and carefully kept. That's because the task of seeking wisdom, which is so often elusive, is a communal project, not one which we should undertake on our own. Life is presented in Proverbs as a journey with which we are constantly faced with the choice between two paths, the one of wisdom and the one of folly. We need good friends who will travel with us, help us discern the right road to take, and spur us on to keep walking down it. Such companions will immeasurably strengthen us as iron sharpens iron so one man sharpens another. Early in our marriage, we were given some wise counsel that we should look to invest in and nurture 
three different kinds of spiritual friendships. So we were encouraged to be sure that at each stage of our life, we had someone in our life that was a mentor, that at each stage there was someone that we were deeply invested in walking shoulder to shoulder with and holding each other accountable, and that we were conscious to be pouring out into someone else. And so there's three men in the Bible that kind of capture these three roles that we're going to use as we talk about these three types of spiritual friendships. We're going to encourage you to think about pursuing a Paul, a mentor. We're going to talk about how you can be a Barnabas, go shoulder to shoulder and deeply invest in a friend's life. And we want to talk about training a Timothy. What is our, God's, our, our God-ordained call to be pouring in to those around us. Pursue a Paul. So why do we use the name Paul? Why do we use the person in the Bible who's known as Paul as the model mentor? A little bit about Paul before we dive into why we answer that question, or the, question, the answer to that question is, first of all, um, Paul, for a long time in his life, was a persecutor. He was, he didn't like Christians. He was uh, very much a part of the Pharisaical um, uh, tribe. He was that person that was against Christians. And in fact, so much to the point that he was actually complicit in a murder, Stephen. And we read that in Acts where he held the coats of those who were stoning Stephen. He actually then went on to Damascus uh, where he planned on persecuting more Christians, bringing them to jail, even murdering some of them. And then he had a dramatic encounter with Jesus. He was completely transformed when Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting my people? And from that point forward, we see Paul, who was once called Saul, changed and transformed into this follower of Christ. And not just a follower of Christ, but a leader. A leader in the new church. We see he was the first missionary to the nations. He brought Christ to the non-Jewish people in the area of modern-day Turkey. He was persecuted in a very similar fashion as he was persecuted. He gave his life to building godly friendships. He constantly poured out. And we can see this in his letters. We can see this in the book of Romans, in Corinthians. We can see the individual letters to people like Timothy and Titus and Philemon, where he constantly poured out, and he gave that hope of Christ as he poured out his life for these individuals and for these churches. So that's why we give Paul the credit that we can now look toward and say, we need to pursue a Paul. So some things to look, look at when we're pursuing a Paul, and I think we have some things up on the screen that you can kind of read along with us. From Proverbs 15:22, Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Let's pretend for a second that Paul is actually sitting right here. And he actually gave his, his, his life testimony. Now, we don't have enough time. This would probably take days for us to listen to Paul's stories from the time that he uh, came to be a Christian to the time that he actually went to Rome and, and, and actually was martyred. But he, he had all kinds of experience. He had all kinds of experience to give. And when we see Paul giving that counsel and giving that advice and being a mentor to people, we know that he shared that experience. He shared that experience and that counsel. The other thing that we could learn from Paul if he were here in, in the flesh is that he was humble. He was transparent. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen says, 
Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. We know this, that Paul was very humble. Now, some of you, if you've ever accidentally thumbed through some of Paul's writings, you'll see some of his resumes. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was a very educated individual. He was very intellectual. He had a lot of things behind his name. He had, he had an amazing resume. And so if you stopped right there, you'd probably think, gosh, Paul, you're kind of an egomaniac here. But then the next sentence every single time said this, I count it all as rubbish. It doesn't compare with the glorious riches of Jesus Christ. And that's who Paul was. He was humble to the point that he was able to be transparent, as you can see in Scripture. He was honest, and he held others accountable as well. The next point, a truth teller and a caring teacher. Proverbs 12 says this, One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. You see, Paul was that righteous guide. And he wasn't righteous in his, in his own right. He was righteous because of the blood of Jesus Christ. He was not afraid to tell the truth, but yet he was caring at the same time. He wasn't afraid to go toe-to-toe with people like Peter and admonish and, and exhort Peter for doing something wrong and that attitude that needed corrected in Peter. But he was also caring. Think about First and Second Timothy. If you read through those, those letters to this individual named Timothy, which we'll talk about later, he was very caring, and he cared about his needs. But most importantly, if Paul were sitting here and we were actually interviewing him, you'd probably walk away with the last bullet point up here. We don't have a proverb for, but he was a sold-out follower of Christ. Now, I've been persecuted before, and maybe some of you have been persecuted as well, but it's only been verbally. Now, Paul, though, on the other hand, wasn't afraid of that, and he wasn't afraid of the physical persecution as well. How many times do we read in Scripture when Paul was stoned, when he was beaten, and he was verbally abused many times? There was many times where he was actually left for dead, and he marched back up after brushing the dust off, and he was ready to march back in to the city to tell them about Christ. He wasn't afraid of the gospel. He wasn't afraid, and he was not ashamed of the name of Jesus Christ. So he was a sold-out follower of Christ. Now, more importantly, you're probably wondering, and I don't know about you, you might be thinking, you know, life is pretty good right now. I I don't know uh, that I really need to have somebody pour into my life. I mean, things are going pretty well. Uh, Things were also going pretty well for a guy named Moses. Moses was a leader of the Israelites. He led them out of Egypt, and he was going through the desert, and he started working. In fact, he got to the point where he was working from sunup to sundown. And one of my favorite characters in the Bible in terms of names, I tried to get one of our kids to be named this. My wife uh, didn't let me. His name was Jethro. Jethro, I, I think that's just a cool name. Jethro uh, ends up on the scene. And, and so who's Jethro? Jethro was Moses' father-in-law. And I'm sure he probably greeted the kids. He saw his daughters and, and greeted them as well. And then he noticed that Moses wasn't at the dinner table. He wasn't hanging out with the family. He noticed that Moses was working from sunup to sundown. And he basically gave, gave Moses a, a modern-day feedback session that might have sounded like this. Moses, if you don't delegate, you are going to burn out. And that's what Moses ended up doing. He delegated the leadership to, to tens, to hundreds of people And he divided. He gave his leadership away. And then we see people like Caleb, people like Joshua rise up. And we can see the benefit of of pursuing somebody like Paul. 
And in this case, it was Moses pursuing Jethro, Jethro pursuing Moses and, and, and giving and, and, and inputting that advice into him. But most importantly, we can think about Moses and Jethro, but the most important, the most impactful mentor of all time was Christ himself. I don't know if you resonate or not with any of the disciples. I, I do with Peter a bit. And when I see some of the boneheaded moves that Peter did when he was walking with Christ, Christ himself being patient, giving input, giving advice, giving counsel, being that godly mentor, that's who we are called to pursue. We're called to pursue a Paul-like mentorship. So what does this look like in our lives? When Christian and I were newly married, we moved to Indianapolis, and we began to attend a church on the south side, and our first time there, there was an invitation um, to a young married's cohort. So we decided to attend, and we met that first night a beautiful couple, Gary and Carol Boring. And Gary and Carol were the mentors for this group, and we quickly saw the characteristics that Christian just described in Paul in this couple. They poured deeply from their rich life experience into those of us that were there to learn. They were honest about their shortcomings. They were super transparent about the difficulty of the Christian life. We um, prayed with them and battled with them over, um, over things that were so real. I thought, actually, Paul, when you were sharing your testimony, you talked about experiencing these vulnerable, authentic Christians and seeing it was unbelievable to see that in this couple. Christian and I um, sat at their feet every opportunity we got. If they were doing something and we could go along, we did. So we canoed and we camped and we ate with them. And um, Christian invited Gary to be on a board of directors with him. Carol was a nurse. And when I became pregnant with my first child, I phoned her regularly um, to find out if what I was experiencing was normal. And so I'll never forget, um, it was close to the end of my due date, and I started to feel really horrible um, one evening. So I called Carol told her my symptoms, and she said, really, you should head to the hospital. I think your blood pressure is probably spiking. See what they say. So um, we have decided that this was pre-cell phone. Um, we were trying to decide. Christian had a pager. I remember that. So I would have, like, a code to page him in case I went into labor. <laughs> but we weren't texting people, and we weren't using a cell phone. Home phones were a thing. And so... We left and went to the hospital. Sure enough, they decided to induce me, and Madeline was born, um, but she was born early, and we had a really dire prognosis. They didn't know. They, they told us they didn't think she would survive. Um, they put her in an isolate, and they're preparing to transport her via ambulance to another hospital, and Christian, the entire time, everything had happened so quickly and unexpectedly. Our parents didn't even know we were in the hospital. Um, Christian had just um, carried this heavy burden of, of helping his wife through the labor process, right? Of trying to figure out what the details are at his newborn daughter. And all of a sudden, into the room walked Gary and Carol. So they knew that we were going to head to the hospital to find out what was going on. They'd been trying to call her home to find out what the hospital had said. We weren't answering, and so they thought, let's just go check. And they walked in at the most um, beautiful moment. And I remember looking at Christian, and it was as if this massive burden he had been carrying just transferred over onto Gary. And Christian just collapsed in his arms and cried. And, and, um, and this is the beautiful picture of the Pauls that we want to pursue. 
This is a couple who had all kinds of things on their to-do list, but they were willing to invest in others to help them become more like Christ. When we heard the call to go to the mission field, they were our biggest cheerleaders. And in fact, out of the young marrieds group that they mentored, we can count seven different couples that went and served on the mission field. Because being in their presence drove us to a desire to surrender all things to Christ. Um, and so we're so grateful for this beautiful couple. In our walk, we've also had what we'll call topical mentors. So these are people who we um, approached and drew near because they knew things that we didn't know, that we wanted to know. So for example, once Maddie was healthy and came home from the hospital, I, there was a woman in our church who had a baby born the same week, although it was her fifth child. And I had no idea what I was doing with this child or with mothering or with this new life stage. And so I phoned Amy and asked if I could glean from her. And so I would meet with Amy and she would pour into me practicalities from diaper rash to sleep schedules and then also all of the different changes that were going um, on for me into this new role. Christian, when we went to the mission field, met with men who had served and raised families on the field so that he could glean from them advice. So, so the, the beautiful role of these mentors is that we can, we can look and pursue Paul's that for overall life mentoring, but then also seek them out when there's some place, some area where you're really wanting to grow and glean um, God's truth in a particular area. So how to pursue these Paul-like friendships? So we talked about some tips that we would give um, advice. Think first about natural Paul types in your circle. Is there someone in your family, in your extended family, or in your missional community, in this church, in your workplace, in whom you see the characteristics that the Proverbs laid out? And if so, become intentional about drawing near to them. If you can't think of anyone in your circle at this point, Pray and ask the Lord to bring someone across your path in whom you can um, invest in pursuing. There's a really beautiful organization that is represented um, here at SOMA. The, the director of this organization attends here. It's called Edge Mentoring. It's another great option for professionals in the workplace that are looking to find a mentor to guide them through living Christ in, um, in your career and how to balance it all throughout your family. And then spend time with your Paul in ways that are natural for your Paul. So for example, I really would have loved for my friend Amy to sit at Starbucks with me for three hours while my baby slept in the car seat and I could just have all of her attention. But she had five children and it wasn't realistic. So instead, I sat on her couch and folded laundry while I would ask her questions and she would pour into me. So pursue a Paul and look for ways to naturally plug into their lives. Be targeted and intentional about the things that you want to glean from the Paul. And be vulnerable. Invite them into the mess of your life and allow them to see the areas where you have great need. Be a Barnabas. Dave Ramsey, anybody know Dave Ramsey? Right, the financial guy, all right? Some, some of you just woke up. You're like, wait, I thought we were talking about friends here. But Dave Ramsey talks about friendship. He's uh, the author of Total Money Makeover, uh, and he says this about Barnabas, Barnabas friendships. 
One of the best decisions I've ever made is to surround myself with an incredible group of Barnabas friends. Every Wednesday morning for the past 14 years, unless I'm out of town, I sit at a conference room table at 7 a.m. with 12 of my closest friends. We call our group Eagles Group and spend about 90 minutes investing in one another. We talk about our struggles together. We study scripture together. We read books together. Basically, we've done life together for over a decade. I'll be honest. I get a lot of criticism, he says. Crazy hate mail. But most of it doesn't faze me a bit. Those people don't even know who I am. But if a member of the Eagles group calls me out on something, I take it very seriously. Their words carry almost as much weight as my wife's words. Why? Because they've invested in me and they've earned the right to speak into my life. Dave, Dave Ramsey. So first of all, he refers to this guy named Barnabas. Who's Barnabas? Barnabas shows up in scripture in Acts 9 when it's time for this other guy who we talked about earlier, Paul, to be defended. Defended from what? Let's think about this for a second. So Paul was a persecutor of Christians. He was murdering Christians. He then was transformed. He was discipled. And now it's time for Paul to get to meet some of the disciples themselves, like John, like Peter, like James. But hang on a second. If you were John, Peter, James, any of the disciples, and this guy who used to murder Christians now wants to meet with you, don't you think you'd be a little bit worried? Nod your head if you'd be a little bit worried. All right, get some interaction here. I'd be a little bit worried. I'd, I, I, I don't know. I'd probably be the first skeptic. Wait a second. This is Paul, who used to be Saul, who used to murder people. Who, who actually, we had a guy who, who, was, who was a member in our church. His name was Stephen. He's no longer with us. And, and Paul was there. I don't think I want to meet with the guy. So Paul needed somebody to stand in the gap, somebody who could vouch for Paul. And that person was Barnabas. Barnabas was Paul's friend, one of his best friends, and here's what uh, Barnabas actually means, son of encouragement. He stood beside Paul. He defended him when he was weak. He walked beside him through thick and through thin. So how can we be an effective Barnabas? And when we talk about Barnabas, when we say that name, I want you to think about this. Barnabas is an invested friend. A Barnabas, and the, who we need to be like, is, is somebody who can be a trusted friend a person that someone can be vulnerable with, that they can trust you with their secrets, that you could be that first person that, that they call when there's celebration all the way to crisis. So my question is, are you a Barnabas? So how do we become more like Barnabas? First of all, we need to become discerning. You can see the first word up there, be discerning. And some of these words up here are, are, are all about attitude. Let's start to look as well at, at some of the actions that Proverbs says. Proverbs 13, 20 says this, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Notice here that, that whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. We, be, we believe that Barnabas did this. We believe that Barnabas' brother was actually maybe one of the 70 disciples that were sent out by Christ. And Barnabas was discerning. He was sharp. He was sharpened by other people, most likely. And Proverbs 16, 28 says this, Once we're sharpened, then we need to be trustworthy. An honest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. The opposite of that can be true as well. To be trustworthy. Are you trustworthy? Think about the friendships that you have. Are you one that people call? How can we become more trustworthy? Proverbs 16, uh, I'm sorry, Proverbs 19.22 says this, 
What is desired in a man is steadfast love, and a poor man's a poor man is better than a liar. If we look at Barnabas's life, he was radically loyal. He stood behind beside Paul, not just when he needed to defend it in Jerusalem with the disciples, but also into his missionary journeys. He was with him through thick and through thin. When Paul was being stoned, when Paul was being persecuted, who was there? Barnabas was there. He was a, tr a trusted friend, even in discouraging times. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. This was Barnabas. Are you a Barnabas? This is how we become a Barnabas, is by looking at Scripture and allowing that truth to infiltrate our lives so that we can impact those friends like Barnabas did. So how is this type of friendship different from your other friendships? Oftentimes, this type of Barnabas friendship is one where you are intentionally thinking about iron sharpening iron. Sometimes there's a formality to this relationship where in addition to friendship, you establish that you're accountability partners, partners or prayer partners. Um, you might have a time set aside in the week where you meet together specifically just to talk about your walk with Jesus, your struggles, and your victories. This is a friendship that is marked by rich times of prayer. And both friends generally walk away feeling sharpened. It's a mutual friendship where one pours in and the other receives, and the other pours in and the other receives. And it is a, um, it, it's a friendship that's marked by voluntary accountability. So it's not a friendship where um, you're waiting for the person to ask you questions that then you can reveal. It's one that you walk into with safety in order to say, here is what I'm struggling with and I need you to know, or celebrate with me the beauty that is happening. This kind of friendship is also relational. It's not just set aside for the one time a week when you meet um, for an hour, but this is the kind of friendship where people get to know your heart. I often think about my Barnabas friends. They are people who remind me who I am when I forget. At SOMA, these types of friendships are often developed through missional communities and then discipleship groups. So our hope at SOMA is that everyone will plug into a missional community, which is a group that meets every week to study the word together, to serve the city together, to build relationship with each other, and to become Barnabas to each other. And then within those missional communities, there are smaller groups that meet to, um, in discipleship group formats. And beautiful and deep friendships happen quickly when we um, think about the proverbial principles that are laid out for us. I was at a wedding a few months ago of two of our members, Brandon and Leah, and it struck me as I was looking at the bridal party that the women that Leah meets with in her discipleship group, her Barnabas friends, were her bridesmaids as well. And just looking at the beauty of this kind of friendship, um, to be known at the heart level and to know someone else at the, other, at the heart level, is, um, it resonates with the heart of our Savior like to share, um, actually brag about a Barnabas relationship that I have. Um, this person's name is, is Paul. Not to con We're going to probably confuse that a little bit because we talked about Paul earlier, but this Paul is actually uh, my Barnabas. 
this, this particular person, you can see a picture of, uh, of the, uh, the two couples up here. Uh, the guy on the left is Paul Cox. And the reason that I want to brag about him is, is so that we, you, myself, all of us in this room could be sharpened. Can be sharpened by some of the things, uh, first of all, who he is, but number, number two, what he does that reflects that heart of Christ. Uh, in many ways, last week we, we heard about the story of Jonathan and David, and Jonathan giving his robe and his, and his, basically his right and his sword and all of these things to David because he loved him so much, and they were deep friends. And in many cases, this was Jonathan. Uh, this is, he, Paul is my Jonathan. Uh, Paul, Paul is that Barnabas. So first of all, if, if we are truly Barnabases, if we're, if we're friends, any, any good friend has, uh, has uh, something in common with the other. So some things that we have in common, first of all, we're, we're both dads. Um, we have, uh, each of us have five kids. Um, something's in the water, I'm not sure. Um, we're both missionaries. We, were both, we both served in a foreign field. He, he served in Spain, and uh, we, we served in Mexico. Uh, our kids uh, collectively both love music and sports. And so there's a lot, of, a lot of things in common. But more important than that, when I look at Paul, I think of someone who is trustworthy. And I can, I can, I can bear my heart with Paul. But Paul knows my, my, my deepest secrets. He knows my struggles, my sin. But he also knows my dreams, my hopes, and my desires. This is who Paul is to me. Uh, Paul also is, is a man of prayer. A lot of times um, I'll get a text message from Paul. But it's actually a conversation between Paul and God. <laughs> I'm just kind of CC'd in. Uh, he's talking about us, and I, I, I see Paul actually write and pray uh, scripture over my family, over Robin, over my kids, over situations at work. Paul is intervening for me in this text message, and he's reminding me of who I am in Christ. This is who he is. He's, he's a man of prayer. He's taught me about fatherhood, friendship, missional living. The list goes on and on. We have, we've, we've started uh, ministries together of, of shared passions. Um, unfortunately, though, a few years ago, Paul moved away with his family. They were called to be missionaries with family life down in Little Rock, Arkansas. And that was a sad time. And I, candidly, I still grieve that time. But I do know this, that Paul's title of being Barnabas to me hasn't changed at all. Because I know that if I give him a call right now, with any sort of emergency, any kind of crisis, any kind of need, that Paul's gonna, the first thing he's going to do is get in the car and drive here. He's going to be here for me. That's the kind of, of Barnabas kind of a relationship that I have with him. Candidly, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm really challenged by this. Because can't, I, I, I'll be vulnerable here. I don't know that I have given that same sort of friendship to Paul. And I have learned so much. And my, and my prayer is that my friendships that I develop after learning from Paul is that I can also be like him. I uh, want to say this, and just a conclusion as, as I wrap up my, my time here talking about uh, my Barnabas, is that when, when I'm confused, when I don't know what to do in a relationship, when there's some sort of level of doubt, I usually don't go wrong by asking this central question, what would Paul do? What would Paul do in this relationship to love on this person? to be the hands and feet of Christ. And that's who he is. And that's who I strive to be. So our, our hope and our, our uh, exhortation to you, to myself as well, is that we would be like Barnabas, be that relationship, be that friend. And one of the other things that I learned as we move into our last person we're going to talk about, Timothy, that I learned from Paul, is how do you train a Timothy? 
How do you train a Timothy? So we talked about Paul, Barnabas, and now Timothy. Who was Timothy? We know that Timothy um, uh, was, was, was part of Paul's missionary journeys. Paul's first missionary journey to modern-day uh, uh, Turkey, he was in, in the city of Lystra. He was, a, he was probably in his teenage years. We know this, that his grandmother and his mom uh, gave uh, teaching to him. He, he, he probably knew the first five books of, of, of the Bible. He probably had them memorized. Uh, why? Because he was trained up. He was trained up. He had a teachable spirit, and a lot of that had to do with, with somebody pouring in. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before stumbling, Proverbs 16, 18. And the opposite of that is a teachable spirit. Timothy had a teachable spirit. So when we're looking at this, what we're, what we're asking you to do is, is to open your eyes. Have your antenna up for a person who needs poured into. This is, uh, when we say Timothy, this is a teachable mentee, a person who, who needs advised, who wants advised, who needs trained, counseled, mentored. By who? By a godly mentor. We also know this, that in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, uh, this is one of my, one of my kids' uh, life verses, uh, which is, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and, and do not lean in your own understanding. In all, in, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. He will make your path straight, from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We know this, that, that Timothy did learn these things. And we know that because he did these things, that he later became uh, a, 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 a preacher. He became a missionary himself with Paul. So train a Timothy. So why should we train a Timothy? Well, first of all, we're, we're called to be, a, we're called uh, to train Timothys. In Proverbs 11, 24 through 26, and Brandon talked about this verse and you can look this up if you'd like. I'd really encourage you to, to do that, to turn to your Bibles in Proverbs 11, 24 through 26. And, and this, is, this, is, this is fascinating. Jesus is asking us to do something here. But he, he is going to overgive. You can't outgive Christ. And he, he proves it right here in verse 24, 25, and 26. One gives freely, yet grows uh, all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched. And one who waters will, uh, will himself be watered. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. We are called to give. And that shift from, from always wanting to receive. And in this society, we, we are preached that all the time. It's all about me, all about me. And what we're doing here is we're asking if we're really, truly cultivating godly friendships is to start asking that shift in our mind from, from receiving to giving. And here's the cool thing. You can't outgive Christ. He will always outgive you. The Great Commission is the other thing that I want to share with you as a rationale as to why we should train Timothys. We should train Timothys because Jesus didn't say this is the great suggestion. We know this is the Great Commission. This is the Great Commission from Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It talks about evangelizing and sharing the gospel, but it also talks about bringing disciples along. And that's the mark of training a Timothy. And that's our call. It's not the great suggestion. This is the Great Commission. When we were first approached with the idea of pursuing a Paul and being a Barnabas and training a Timothy, I remember thinking, oh, well, the train a Timothy I'll do when I'm old. Um, when I actually have something to tell somebody, because what do I know? 
And then there's the verse in the Bible, right, that says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for other believers. Um, our, our friend that talked to us said to us, um, as we in trepidation thought about um, training a Timothy, the most powerful pulpit that you have is your kitchen table. And what that means for us is that, yes, sometimes we break bread with people at our table, but we also invite people into the mundane of our lives. I have a beautiful friend named Casey who is half my age, but our, her friendship has my whole heart. And Casey and I have talked about the role of women in the church while washing my car. We have discussed her relationships and friendships while trying to resell my son's tennis shoes at Played Against Sports. Um, Casey jumps into the mundane and the daily of my life. And what has resulted is deep beauty and connection. We don't have to have all of the answers in order to train a Timothy. I'd like to share some Timothy stories from our lives. And the first one is um, of our daughter, Madeline. About four years ago, Maddie came to us with this deep desire to disciple young girls that she knew. And so she had this idea to start a group called Bright Lights. And she wanted to meet monthly, and she wanted to teach the word and train these girls in the disciplines of the faith. And, um, and we were humbled and, um, and said, okay. And so she has led the way on that. This will be her fourth year meeting with these beautiful girls who have become her dear friends. She gives not only of her time once a month on a Saturday, but she loves to meet with them outside as well, taking them to coffee, sending them encouraging letters. Um, and it's become a beautiful example to us of training a Timothy even while you are still incredibly young. My other really amazing example that Christian and I still sit humbled at is when we think about the men and women in our missional community. Our missional community looks differently than we thought it would when we first started it. We felt sure that the Lord called us here to pour into young families, um, people who had little babies and needed practical advice. And that is absolutely not at all what he has brought to our missional community. If you take us out of the equation, the average age of our missional community might be 24 or 25. And these men and women know how to train Timothys in an unbelievable way. They have poured into all five of our children with depth and beauty. Maddie has kind of a band of big brothers who, um, who play worship together once a month. And when they get together to practice, their practices are filled not just with music. They're filled with wise counsel. They're filled with prayer. They're filled with encouragement. They get practical, too. They've taught her how to text a boy to tell him that she doesn't like him. Um, they've walked her through her first breakup. Last week, our friend Greg spent hours with our son Joshua and his friend touring Purdue University and um, pouring into him, from it, talking about college and education. Joshua's life's also been dramatically transformed as he meets with the men in our missional community to talk through accountability and discipleship. Our son Ethan turned 13 this year, and the men of our MC gathered around him in an encouragement breakfast and wrote him out letters filled with scripture to guide him as he transitions into manhood. The women in our MC are constantly reaching out to our 11-year-old Amelia. Last night she had a sleepover with Casey and Nikki, and they taught her about how to care for her skin on her face. 
And Mason, our seven-year-old, has an absolute hero in Neelan. Neelan on Monday showed up at our house to take Mason to dinner and to the movies. Here's what these men and women in our missional community understand. They are taking time to build relationship, to pour in to our children, and they have our children's hearts. And so when they speak scripture and when they talk about their journeys with the Lord, our kids are watching and learning, and our kids are being transformed into the image of Christ because of the intentionality of these men and women who have decided to train up Timothys. So how can you train a Timothy? As we close a few things, ask God to reveal someone in your circle whose heart is hungry, someone who's eager to learn. Invite them to your kitchen table. Bring them into your life. You don't have to have everything perfect, and you don't have to have all the answers. You just need to be available. And as you listen to them, look for ways to pour in intentionally. So pursue, pursue a bar, uh, Paul. Be a Barnabas and train up a Timothy. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this, uh, this message that, that you wrote, Lord, as you um, Lord poured into each one of the lives of the people that we talked about, the, the, the Paul, the Barnabas, and the Timothy, and there are countless people like that in Scripture. Father, it, what that means today, I, I pray that, that you would open up our our minds, our hearts to the needs around us. I pray, Lord, that the expectations that we have to have all this figured out before we invite people into our lives, I pray that that lie would be dispelled. And I pray, Lord, that we would just be open, open to, to, to invite people into our messes. Lord, that, that, that they would see you and less about us. I pray, Lord, that we would be faithful, Lord, to pursue a Paul, that we may be sharpened, that we would be that Barnabas kind of a relationship, a trustworthy a person who uh, has other people's back and that we would pour into Timothy's, those Timothy's around us, Father. Thank you for this message. Thank you for your son who died for us, that we might have hope in eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.